Good stuff. I love it. Um, our children are dismissed. Uh, Brother Siegler is um, there to teach for us today. And uh, we're going to go back and learn a lesson about how God moves us and makes radical change in our lives. Y'all feel up after that song? Yeah? Boom, boom, boom. That's a, that's a dance-worthy song, I think. But it's so true. Your name is faithful in the battle. Glory in the struggle. Mighty. You will not let us down. You will not fail us. Join me in prayer. Lord, I love you. And I thank you that these things are true of you. We always don't see that they are true of you, Lord. That doesn't make them untrue. And also, Lord, we trust that even when we don't see you working, when we don't feel you are mighty, we don't experience your glory in the struggle, as it were, that doesn't prohibit you. That doesn't prevent you. That doesn't make you go, well, I'm not going to move anymore. Lord, we trust that you move despite us. And for that, we are so grateful. Today, as we come to your word, as we consider one of your faithful servants, might we learn, might we receive from you that which you have for us. Might we be equipped, encouraged. Might our faith be built up, established, fixed. Might our brokenness be comforted, consoled. We love you, Lord. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I did not grow up Catholic. And I'm still not over it. It's kind of a joke. But uh, my mom and my sister and some of you have called me a Bathlick or a Baptist Catholic before. Uh, namely, because one time, after a uh, new pope uh, arose to the papacy, I said, let us pray for our pope. Our pope. Some people caught that. And I had to catch myself. And I was like, no, 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 the pope, the pope. Truth be told, 
I understand, I understand differences between the Holy Roman Catholic Church as it is today and churches like our own. But also, I am uh, one of those people who thinks that while the Reformation was necessary, I wonder if it didn't go too far. What if we could have reclaimed, really reformed, not just broke away? Because see, that initial breaking away has led to a bunch of fracturing in the church, hasn't it? That's not to say everybody was on one page for 1,500 years of church history. Uh, plenty of evidence to the contrary of that statement, right? But I mean, here's the deal today. I say it all the time. You throw a fishing pole in the Palm Baptist and you're going to come up with a different one every single time. Well, what kind of Baptist are you? Well, we're American Baptist. Well, we're Southern Baptist. Well, we're Independent Baptist. Well, are you KJV only or are you only KJV? Blah. See, the thing is, is what happens, I, I think, in the church is instead of holding tight to the scriptures in the raw form that they are, we get very religious about the text. We start doing things that Jesus told people not to do. We start straining at gnats. Right? So now we're not divided because somebody says that Christ is divine and Christ is not divine. Now we're divided over what somebody believes about the return of Jesus. What, what's the time stamp for that return? Are you premillennial, pre-trib, post-millennial, all-millennialist? If y'all don't know those terms, thank God you don't. But there are churches, there are people who go, well, I can't worship there because they're pre-millennial, pre-trib, and I just don't believe that. Well, what's interesting is Jesus said, don't worry about that. He said, go be my witnesses. That's what the Spirit's going to empower you to do. But we start straining at that. And, and then we start looking at things and we start making things like, 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 like this, this age-old religious sensibility has to get get on top of things and so we start looking at people in scripture and instead of saying man they were really good human beings or they were not so good human beings and look at what god did we start uh we start nearly deifying human beings to whom god works i didn't grow up catholic as i said but i do know that this is true of Mary. Some of you grew up praying, not only with Mary, but to Mary, seeking her intercession. We're going to talk about this a little bit today because we're looking at Matthew's genealogy of Jesus 
and Jesus' mothers. And what I find so compelling is all the other stories that we've mentioned, Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, Bathsheba, all of those stories, even though we found those women to be faithful and we celebrated some things about them, throughout church history, we actually kind of also have had some negative connotation attached to those ladies, right? Tamar, she was cunning and deceitful in how she, she lured Judah in. I mean, Judah, he's just... You know, he was just, he, 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 he was doing the right thing. And here's Tamar, you know, just the seductress out there. Uh, Rahab, and we talked about that. Rahab the harlot. Even the New Testament holds on to that epitaph. Can't we call her Rahab the faithful, the daring, faithful, king to fire? Ruth. Now, Ruth is probably the, the, the one that we, we see the greatest, you know, we've told her story in, in, in a very good way. But we also look at Ruth, and Ruth looks like she's like a demure little girl who doesn't do anything bold or daring. When actually, she makes some very, very rough and rugged decisions in her life. I mean, actually, whenever she goes to Boaz's, uh, uh, to, to the threshing floor, and she lays down at Boaz's feet, that's a questionable act in their culture, as it would be questionable in our day. We make Boaz the hero of that story, and Boaz did honorably in that story. But the book is named Ruth for a reason. Bathsheba, as we looked at last week. Now, we don't know. I'm not going to lie. We don't know if it was consensual once she got inside of David's room. But we also know that she didn't go seek out David. She wasn't hanging out on the roof like we all thought, trying to get David's attention. So all these ladies have had these kind of like uh, this cloud over them, if you will, negative connotation. But the complete opposite has happened with Mary. Now, you might have grown up in a Baptist or evangelical or Protestant church, and you didn't do, you didn't pray to Mary or pray with Mary. Mary wasn't venerated. But you know of it, right? Now, here's the deal today. I want to tell y'all while praying to Mary is a good thing. I'm just joking. Y'all were so stunned by that. They were like, he, was a, he is a Catholic. I knew it. Here's the deal. I'm treading very lightly today on this subject because I know it is near and dear to people. I know that there are people who are much more learned and educated than me who pray to Mary. I want to be careful about what I say. But I also am here to say, I think we've missed the plot when we make Mary somebody through whom only Jesus could come if she was sinless. That's what's behind Immaculate Conception. It says she was sinless, and that's why Jesus could come 
to this blessed virgin. Somebody who had perpetual virginity despite the fact that she had other children after Jesus. Somebody who, tradition tells us, Scripture does not, was assumed into heaven much like Jesus was assumed into heaven, much like Elijah was assumed into heaven, right? Somebody who is prayed to for intercession. Here's how this came about. Jesus, the righteous judge, needs to have a mother's touch so that he can have mercy on people. I believe that's going way too far with Mary. Here's why. Nowhere in Scripture is Mary heralded as these things. And for us, the first testimony that we have, because we don't get to talk to Peter and James and John and Paul, the first testimony that we have is the testimony of Scripture that's been preserved and handed down to us. And so we always are going to look to the scriptures first and say, what do the scriptures tell us and inform us about Mary? Secondly, I believe it's gone too far in part because it was a late addition to the church. Historically, you find the earliest evidence that you have any, any, any perceived prayer to Mary or honoring Mary in such a way, is not until the third century. So 300 years of church history has passed, and then they start this up. And then it's not until the fifth century, whenever they are trying to decide whether or not we should call her the mother of Christ or the mother of God. And the reason why that was a hot issue was because they wanted people to know that Jesus was divine. And they said it might it might throw people off if we say that Mary was just the mother of Christ, that means that Jesus could have been born a human and then become a god. And so they said no, we need to say that he's she's the mother of God. So there was a good intention behind this thought process. But then it expanded. And then you don't find until the 10th, 11th, and 12th centuries in the Middle Ages whenever the, uh, what we call Mariology really expands. In fact, it expanded so much that it became one of the most pressing issues in the 19th, late 19th, early 20th century whenever Protestants and Catholics are trying to come to some common ground on things. There was Vatican II that happened in the uh, 20th century. And in Vatican II, they tried to kind of tone down some of the language. Tried to step away from some of the veneration, if you will, 
She was still a saint, but hey, let's, let's step it back. But by the end of the 20th century, uh, the, the persistence to include Mary, such a high fashion, magnified, yes, nearly deified, is how I would say, remains. In fact, um, I believe it was uh, John Ratzinger. If I'm wrong about this, I'm wrong about this. I did a lot of study on this this week, obviously. Who was Pope? For the current Pope, who said it took a few centuries for us to figure out what 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 reason clearly tells us about Mary. And what he's saying is we know it's not in scripture, we know it's not in the early church, but we got there as soon as we could. And this was a recent pope. Here's the deal. Here's why I, I bring this up again. We've looked at these ladies and Jesus' genealogy and they have, their stories are questionable. They're scandalous. And then what's happened is they've taken the woman through whom the, Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit and they clean her up. So clean, so spotless. Because that can only make sense. But my question to you today is, that, does that make sense to your, your sensibilities as one who knows the character of God as revealed in Christ? Or can that only make sense to some religious sensibilities? My contention is, it's a religious sensibility. And here's the problem with it. One of the problems. It's a huge departure from the narrative. Jesus' lineage could be advanced through Tamar, but Mary has to be sinless? Jesus' lineage could be advanced through a foreign Rahab? Through a foreign Ruth? But Mary has to be spotless? Jesus' lineage could be advanced through a scandalous, sinful night at best. That's all we can say about it. It was a sinful night. And I contend heavily the sin of David, as the text leads us to believe. But Mary had to get it all right. And here's the, here's the thing. And here's why this weighs on me. What hope does that give you to be a bearer of the image of God? What hope does it give you to be a bearer of the Spirit of God? Do you have to be sinless, spotless, get it right? 
like Mary? Does God, is God waiting for you to get your act together, to get his program on the road? See, it's a departure from the narrative. Because the narrative is, and always has been, that God has been faithful and worked, sent his spirit and moved upon people when they get it wrong. They flub up. In fact, whenever I think about this idea of the sovereignty of God, you know, the sovereignty of God is not that everything goes right according to, in my, my conception of this, it's not like it all goes right according to how he planned it out. It's, it could go, his plans could get thrown against the wall and it's still going to shake out right. Why I say that is because I, I can't lie and say, hey, you know what? God wanted me as a college freshman to go and, uh, and you know, waste my life away. And my schooling away with riotous living and get kicked out of school so that I could really have this come to Jesus moment in which I was like, okay, I'm all in. God didn't need that to happen because God had given me faithful parents and a faithful church and great upbringing for me to know. And he had spoken to me multiple times throughout my life, calling me to this vocation. God used my brokenness. He didn't plan for it. He didn't prescribe it. He didn't want me to go astray. But he is so powerful and so above it all that he could take that moment of my brokenness, my sinfulness, and he could use me. Now then, to give us some insight about the text and what the text tells us about Mary. First of all, the very first thing that we get after Matthew tells us the genealogy of Jesus, he tells us about the birth of Jesus Christ. And he said, when his mother was a spouse to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Before they came together, she was pregnant. Matthew tells us how she was pregnant, but we find out Joseph doesn't know. What Matthew is leading us into here is a little hint, hint, nod, nod. Mary's story doesn't look very clean to the outside observer. Now, if we could imagine this today, and we can sense that, think about Mary living in her village. And think about her village not being thousands and thousands of people and all these disconnected people who don't really know her, but think about her village being generations and generations of her own family. And hundreds, maybe a couple of thousands of people. And think about Mary 
coming up pregnant? And how would everybody, how would everybody read that story? And Joseph, he reads it the way that everybody else would. She was unfaithful to me. Now we know the story is that she was not unfaithful. And we know the story a little bit more fully from Luke's gospel. And in Luke's gospel, whenever the angel Gabriel appears to her, the angel Gabriel says to Mary, you are going to give birth to the Messiah. Mary's profound response Mary's profound response is in verse 38 of chapter 1 of the Gospel of Luke, and she says, Behold the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. Mary's profound response is, I'm a servant girl. I'm a slave. What do I do about it? I'll accept it, but it doesn't seem like you're taking no for an answer anyways. <laughs> Behold, look, I'm just a servant of the Lord. Let it be just as you said. Here's what I want us to see here. Mary probably knows her options at this point. I'm engaged to Joseph. I'm going to be pregnant, and nobody's going to understand why. And I'm going to have to carry this. At this point, Mary isn't going, I'm pregnant. A few years ago, my sister and brother-in-law were trying very hard to have children. She was, uh, she was old, so it was a geriatric pregnancy, right? <laughs> Advanced maternal age. Older than dirt. They wanted to get pregnant so bad. Every month, I mean, it became like clockwork. Every month, she was taking tests when there was no sign that a test needed to be taken. Because she was so eager, so happy. Well, then, they weren't getting pregnant. And then, their son was graduating from high school. And then they were looking at their daughter about to graduate from high school. And then they were going, we could do whatever we want. We're about to be empty nesters. And then they got pregnant. <laughs> and when they told Brittany and I, I had all these, thought, all these conversations that we had had with them over the recent months where they were talking about we could sell the house and we could move out to the country. We could semi-retire. I mean, they're 40 years old that they're talking about semi-retiring. So funny. But I knew that that baby that they wanted so bad, they had reconciled, we're not having a baby. And that's okay. And then they had started getting excited about something else. This life of freedom. And so when they told us, I laughed in their face. And I said, you for this anymore. <laughs> I said, you wanted this so bad, but y'all moved on. 
This is so good. And now that kid's neglected, so we need to be praying for him. <laughs> but they were very excited at one point, and when they found out, oh, it was like, okay, now we have to get our head and our heart back together. And I'm just joking. He's spoiled rotten. And he's awesome. He's a joy. And he's my, uh, my youngest best friend, so it's fun. But I imagine that Mary at that moment was like, okay, well, if this has to happen, it has to happen. And Mary's not even sure that it has happened. And we know that because the next move of the story is her saying, well, how am I supposed to? She asked, how is this going to happen? And he said, guess what? Your cousin Elizabeth, she's with child too. And what we find out is what happens next is Mary goes to investigate to find out if cousin Elizabeth is, is pregnant. She leaves and she's like, I'm going to go find out if Elizabeth is pregnant. It, let me just say this. This shouldn't be one of those things where we go, well, she wasn't really faithful. This should be one of those things that we should inform our faith where she goes, hey, I'm going to go find this out. I'm going to go figure it out. I'm going to. And this affirms that word that the Lord spoke to me. So she goes to Elizabeth's house. And it's then that Elizabeth prophesies in the name of the Lord. Blessed art thou, Mary. And it's then whenever Mary goes okay, something pretty amazing is happening here. The beautiful thing about the story is it took some time to unfold. Mary doesn't just accept it blindly in the sense of, well, I'm, I'm yay. She has to chew on it. She has to digest it. She has to have it affirmed to her that it's really even true. I mean, she would have figured it out eventually right possibly i don't know have y'all seen that show where people are like i woke up in the middle of the night and i thought i was having chest pain and i delivered a baby have y'all i mean this that's amazing to me i'm like because because if anybody knows their body women know their bodies like it's just amazing to me like on top of everything like wow okay so that could have happened but i'm pretty sure <laughs> she would have found out because she was y'all you gotta think she was 14 years old oldest I think she would have started to show. The last thing that I, I would like to say about Mary is, and, and you can look at the story yourself. It's in Matthew 12, Mark 3, Luke 8. It's all, uh, all the synoptics tell the story about when the Pharisees are, are accusing Jesus of working by the power of 
Satan. He's demon-possessed. That's how he's doing this. And Jesus has to give an answer for that. And Jesus gives a great answer. And he says, like, hey, why would Satan work against himself? And they were probably like, well, because... It just makes sense if you think about it. Or if you don't. (laughs) But in this context where Jesus is looked at as like a crazed person... His mom and his brothers show up. And Jesus is in a house gathered with disciples who have been following him and who are listening to his teaching. And it says, your mom and your brothers are outside and they want to see you. And so here's the implication. They're outside and they're not coming into you. They want you to come out to them. And in the context where it's this whole thing of Jesus being perceived as a crazy person. You have to put yourself in the place of Mary where she might have thought, is my son crazy? Here's the deal. We can all go, well, she knew that he was going to be the king. But we also have to remember, how did kings get made in those days? How did Anijah become, proclaim himself king? Adonijah. Y'all don't know that story. Bad, bad, bad Bible scholars you are. No, I'm just joking. Three of y'all know it. Um, I'm assured of it. But Adonijah went gathered a bunch of the nobles, gathered the high priest, gathered the general of the army, gathered a bunch of nobles together, and went and had his armed forces, and they said, we're going to herald him king. And that meant, if you don't recognize me as king, I'm going to fight you. And I got all this clout behind me. And that's whenever Bathsheba had to go to David and say, you need to name Solomon king. Because Adonijah is trying to take what's rightfully Solomon's. The kids are going crazy back there. So I'm going to wrap this up. Mary thought, I got to go check on my baby. Just like Angie's going to check on her son back there. I spoke this into existence. right? But what does Jesus say? Jesus doesn't say, oh, my mom and my brothers, they're with me. They trust me. They know who I am. He's like, I'm not going to go out to my mom and my brothers because my mom and my brothers are those who do the will of my father. And at that moment, we have to understand what the text is telling us. And the text is telling us that at that moment, it wasn't for all time. We know historically this isn't the case, but we know at that moment, they weren't sure. At that moment, Mary wasn't going like, he's doing everything he needs to be doing. At that moment, they might have been thinking, okay, you are king, but you're doing it the wrong way. And and that would be par for the course because... His own disciples said that kind of stuff about him. Hey, if you're really king, should we get the opposition out of our way? Should we call out fire and brimstone? Those were cool stories. We want to get back to that. 
So maybe she knew that he was supposed to be king, but she thought, you're going about it horribly wrong. Because moms sometimes can think that we're going about it horribly wrong. And a lot of times they're right. But you're not always right, mom. Just joking. I'm really setting up Sunday dinner to be a doozy today. So here's what I want us to know about Mary. Mary can be and should be a great model of faith. But being a great model of faith doesn't mean that you have to be sinless. Spotless. Always get it right. We strive for that, don't get me wrong. The age-old argument that comes in there, well, are you just saying that you can go on sinning and do it? No, that's not what we're saying. Don't put that argument in. (laughs) And here's why this is a good model for faith. Because it's the only model that you and I can have hope in. Because you can't get it right all the time. You can't be spotless outside of the blood of Jesus Christ. You can't be seen as sinless outside of the work of Christ. So she's a great model for faith. But we don't have to make her sinless, spotless, Think that she got it right all the time. There's something else. Can't put my finger on it right now. Maybe Tuesday in my email it'll come to me. You'll get it then. You and I rely upon the name of Jesus. And it's at the name of Jesus and by no other name that salvation comes. Jesus loves you. And he will rescue you. While you are yet a sinner, while you are still spotted, while you still don't get it right all the time. That's the good news. And the good news continues and says that whenever he comes and rescues you, he gives you not only his life, as a model and example, not only his teachings to read and to study, but he also gives you his Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit gives you authority and power and ability to say no to sin. The Holy Spirit equips you clean off the spots. The Holy Spirit leads you 
to get it right every now and then. To my brothers and my sisters, this is our hope. To those who are looking for rescue, it's only in one name. The name is that is above every other name, and that is the name of Jesus. And Jesus came to us through some really wild women. But we celebrate his mothers today. With that I say, amen. I ask you to bow your head, close your eyes. Maybe you needed to be reminded today that you don't get it right all the time. Because you're carrying guilt, shame, a weight of a load of weight. And God needed to come and God wanted you to be reminded, hey, I know you don't get it right all the time, but there's freedom and there's forgiveness and there's reconciliation and there's restoration from that. And today, you just need to confess, I don't get it right all the time. You need to receive that, uh, that, that, that fresh cleansing, that f- fresh renewal, that fresh word of hope and energy. So that you can go out this week and you can live not, not, not burdened with guilt and shame. But you can live in the freedom of forgiveness. And the authority that is granted when you know that I am right with God. And God is right with me. Maybe today you needed to know that Jesus loves you. Just as you are. And he comes to you. And he saves you just as you are. And he comes to you and he uses you just as you are. That he will take you on a journey. Through his spirit. Through his fellow disciples. Through his church. To help you, to grow you. To cleanse you, to pure you. But that it's at the name of Jesus that you get that. Maybe today you need to come and you need to place your faith, make a declaration, a confession. My faith is in Jesus. Here's what I'm going to do. If that's you, I would encourage you to talk to me before we leave here today. If you are so bold and you are ready, While we are praying, you might come up to the front. And you might say, Preacher, I need to talk to you right now. If not, grab me at the back door and say, Let's go talk. And we'll talk. My brothers and my sisters, those who are seeking the Lord, I invite you right now to a time in which we can just pray before our God, reflect on what you've heard, Seek the Lord. Talk to God about what God's talking to you about.
If you're still praying, I want you to pray, and I want you to stay in an attitude of prayer. I'm going to pray for us, and then uh, our praise team is going to begin singing. Again, if you're still praying, you just use this time that we sing this final song just to pray, meet with the Lord. You're ready to stand and sing, you stand and sing. Lord, I pray and I ask that you would be with my brothers and my sisters. Be with those who are bringing their prayers before you right now. Pray that you would attend unto their prayers, Lord. I pray that you'd be with us this week. Lord, help us not to walk in some religious sensibility this week, but let's walk in the gospel sensibility. And the gospel sensibility tells us. It tells us that you love us that you equip us, that you empower us with your spirit. And that though we strive to get it right, we fail. And yet you're still moving. And you're still working. Lord, I pray for those who need to trust in your son, Jesus. I pray that you would lead them, draw them, call them to you. Not only now, but each and every day, Lord, might they hear your voice. We pray these things in Christ's mighty, resurrected name.